0: you're listening to the green majority radio program on our podcast thank you so much for downloading if you can support the show we're trying to get some new equipment in here including some cameras that has been an long-going project for us you can help get us to the next level and and put us back on youtube on a regular basis by becoming a member you can do that at patron.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash green majority however without further ado here is the green majority radio program To the Green Majority here on CIUT eighty nine point five FM. I'm in studio today with uh, Stefan Hostetter. How you doing? And only Stefan Hostetter. It's yeah. It's just the just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> well played. We I missed do. you. Yeah, you weren't uh, here last week, so
1: no, I wasn't here two weeks ago. I two, was here oh, well. two weeks
0: ago. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: I, well, they all blend together. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> It's only our 516th show or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, they kind of blur together. Okay, so without wasting any more time on goofiness. Uh, so I'm going to work backwards today because I'm slightly organized today, Stephen. Oh, well done. Uh, so at the end of the program, we're going to be discussing some international news, touching on a few items, uh, including a uh, yet another, the, the weekly update on uh, which oil pipeline or rig or infrastructure or train or whatever well-exploded. Uh, this week it's in the Western Isles. We'll cover that. We're going to talk a little bit about the high price of avocados, uh, and how that's fueling deforestation later in the program. Uh, scattered at some point will be some commentary about proportional representation. We haven't quite decided exactly where that's going to slip in just yet. Uh, that'll be at the end of the show. In the middle of the show, uh, Emma who's not currently with us, although there's still a chance that she might slip in. I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh was in uh, uh in the US, I believe in the US, actually I'm, I'm now blanking. It was, anyway, it was in the US. It sure. was in the US. Yeah. Uh for a the something Buffalo. called Common Bound Conference. Yeah. Uh and she interviewed Nancy Natem, uh Nintem? Uh, who is the, and I do apologize for any uh, native French speakers now, the Chantier de l'Economie Sociale, which uh, has something to do with the social economy, although I don't know what chantier means. <laughs> uh, and she's the strategic advisor. And she's going to, I've listened to the interview a couple times now. It's a, it's a very good, uh, quick little interview as well. Just talking about the role of the social economy, what that actually means, defining it, and uh, the uh, both the benefits of uh, like fundamentally foundationally supporting this type of economy uh, and what the benefits of that would be, how to, how to do it and, and why you should do it uh, as well. That'll be in the middle of the program along with some other scattered technology uh, news, technology science news, we'll call it, technology slash uh, science news. But starting now, Stefan, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to talk more local stuff. So local stuff, the uh, first one I'm going to get to right now is the uh, calling for 11 organizations calling for a federal government review here in Canada. For new energy efficiency standards, and the first takeaway from this story, uh, which was uh, found on Desmog Blog, uh, is also just, just the simple idea that we don't have one. Uh, there isn't one. There is scattered uh, scattered um, energy efficiency standards. They apply to some things in some cases. One of the areas where it's actually um, I, I I don't know if I could say relative to anywhere that Canada's better, but where we there's a track record of actually keeping up and updating these regulations is things like uh, auto emissions. Is an area where even pre-climate change, just due to pollution, just due to air pollution, uh, there is regular um, rechecking and re-updating of uh, fuel efficiency standards and things like this. And that's a really good test case because every single time there's talk about it – most recently it was uh, tied in with California – and it's the same story every time, isn't it, Stefan? Uh, you know, people say, we want to raise the efficiency standards. Car companies go, that will raise our costs. And then they do it. Yeah. Uh, and then frequently they do it and then start competing with each other to see how much farther they can go past it. Because they're like, well, we're gonna, now this is the thing. So we have to spend a bunch of money on it. So we might as well turn this into a marketing angle. Let's make it sexy to be green again mm-hmm. uh, while we're at this anyway. Let's run it as far as we can. Uh, because they have to dump a, money, a bunch of money into R&D to, to meet these standards. They end up, in some cases, surpassing these standards, and everyone's a winner, right? Everybody gets cleaner cars. The car companies make more money because they're now marketing clean cars, and their whole thing about the doom and gloom about these regulations doesn't ever pan out. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, other areas where this is not done, with the well, I other areas, almost all other areas, this is not <laughs> the case, but the same objections are raised. So – Uh, This was an open letter, uh, 11 organizations, 11 uh, big organizations, uh, uh, including uh, people like the Pemida Institute, Canadian Energy Efficiency Alliance, Toronto Atmospheric Fund, Environmental Defense, Architecture Canada, blah, 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 blah. Uh, What's really interesting, uh, I mean, A, is to just bring up the fact that that this is the easiest thing to do. Uh, Efficiency, like this is wasted energy. So even Mm -hmm. our conservative friends uh, will, should at least be jumping on board. And say, yes, let's not waste money. Uh, This Mm -hmm. seems like a no brainer, but getting federal regulations in place to defend this stuff uh, is very tricky. And um, it's just it's not simple. It's not as cut and dry up and down party lines as some other issues. But it still can be very, very tricky. Uh, and so what the article is outlining is um, the types of things can be done. We can uh, put uh, – in addition to simply creating st- uh, uh, standards, uh, there's all sorts of uh, financing incentive programs. And what they're talking about is that even when we're talking about financing, it was like, oh, so you want to raise our taxes, uh, is that the way that these things uh, tend to be or, uh, or specifically could be uh, structured is a way that actually puts all that money back into the hands of consumers, which then spend it locally. Uh, so this has been uh, – uh, these types of – Uh, standards changing does have a local economic benefit, uh, not a net uh, loss as well. So we could really dig into the weeds here about what types of things. uh, uh, Just really quickly, um, uh, one of the uh, things is that in some places in Canada, for instance, Calgary, it's as high as uh, home uh, emissions that could be reduced with current existing technology as high as 55% increase. So more than half of your electricity bill, and of course, here in Ontario, there's some hysteria about hydro prices right now, uh, I think legitimate, uh, in some cases, uh, not legitimate in others, but there you go. Uh, you could reduce your energy bills by half if we got some regulation in place to force people to you know, stop kicking and screaming and just go ahead and do this. Uh, consumers are winner. Their energy bills will lower. Uh, companies even energy uh, sellers a lot of the time we've had this conversation about in fact this plays largely into our, our series of videos uh, Stefan, as well is the whole idea of baseload right? Uh, if you reduce uh, if you increase efficiency there's a reduced need for capital investment and so th- this can even be good for energy companies. The people who would be normally seen as the person selling the product you're trying to reduce even they can win here Mm. Uh, so we won 't we won 't do a whole show on this because I really to to really get into this, I want to have an engineer or an architect here to who can who can do a better job rather than just synthesizing a, a journalist article on it but uh, an important uh, important topic uh, for sure what did you have to say uh,
1: yeah, I, I just actually wanted to, to double like, a couple of people n- the n- couple of names you mentioned there uh, were interesting to me and and, uh, and that also I wanted to throw out one of my favorite lines ever uh, which is uh, especially this whole energy conversation uh, or energy conservation conversation uh, comes down to a lot, in part at least, due to uh, due to homes and autos, uh, like due to the home, homes and and whether they're condominiums or their personal homes. Uh, and, and Diane Sachs, our environmental commissioner of Ontario, has one of my, one of these lines that, like, when I first read it, I was like, "That's beautiful. Uh, I will repeat this forever," and I'm doing it now. Uh, which is at one point early on into her tenure, she said that land use and planning and development is really Ontario's oil sands. Mm. Uh, just to underline how much of our GHG emissions come from our land use planning and our and our inefficient developments that we make, uh, but then but to, to sort of put an interesting spin on this, or at least to under, to explain how this can be uh, to, a story to sort of explain how this can be beneficial to everybody, or how this how these kind of standards can really raise the bar, um, is one of the organizations or you mentioned in the who's actually pitching this is the Toronto Atmospheric Fund, and they have this fascinating experience. Uh, working with a massive developer, you'd imagine would be generally against, you know, most regulations. Uh, and there's Tridel, uh, who's no, you know, one of the largest condo developers in the city. Uh, and th- I remember I was talking about a year ago now to to the to, to someone from the Toronto Fund, and they're telling me this story about how on t- so Toronto actually has relatively strong condo standards now. Mm. Uh, it's, it's It's quite recent but that but that was a part of uh, and, and so much so that the Toronto then sort of forced Ontario to be relatively good they're now out of they're now three four years out of date uh, but they're actually relatively good and the way that all came about was actually through the Toronto Atmosphere Fund working with Tridell uh, and and they basically helped fund uh, they helped support in this interesting payback system, which I'm not going to get into um, but helped fund uh, a whole basically the greenest condo Tridell Tridel could build at the time. Uh, and just like try to figure this out, do as much as you can, make it as as energy efficient as you possibly can. Uh, and, And they went out and did it and then they proved, and in doing so, uh, it showed that it was doable, and that it wasn't even that. And they ended up actually surpassing, I think, the actual goal targets. Uh, and then they took that model and was like, "Look, you can do this." Brought it back to the city of Toronto with now the with now the uh, the the backing of industry, and was like, "We we've proven you can be they can be this much more efficient. Let's hold them to this new standard." Mm. Um, and 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 then that is how Toronto's new condominium uh, uh, so laws came into play. Came in place, or not laws, but uh, guidelines or whatever, mm. um, and it and it shows that sort of that these energy efficient standards are really. Uh, what they do is that they force the people who have the ability to make them better and make, to, to, to do the, the, the have the ability or have the, the it 's an opportunity for these companies who are able to actually make you know to, to put the investment to do these better buildings to sort of actually to, to take over the marketplace to some extent mm-hmm. um, and so it 's sort of like if you were willing to play by these things it 's the same thing about what the, the coal plants were doing uh, when they were about to get phased out was that they were dem- they were hoping they'd get regulated uh, so they could be protected from future uh, from from future things that would eventually actually completely wipe them out.
0: Yeah. Regulate um, us before you destroy us.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And obviously housing isn't something you can just get rid of. But at the very least what it does do is it forces the developers to live to the highest standard which they which you can then make which you can get them to prove they can live to. Yeah. Uh, and so these so that's interesting how how many different interests come into this into this one thing.
0: What I think before we move on, I think there's sort of two important takeaways here. One of them, I was reminded uh, recently of an interview we did with Greening Homes, a local mm-hmm. uh, green developer here, just because they retweeted the interview right. we did like two <laughs> days ago. Uh, and uh, so one of the things there was the story was that they ended up setting a record for um, if a green building stands. I, I don't remember exactly what the award was for. I, I think this was you know, Ontario specific or something. Mm-hmm. So it's not like global or anything. But they set a record. Um, and they But they didn't set out to. What they set out to do was we have a budget and we're going to do as much as we can with this budget. and then they ended up like blowing away everybody's expectations even themselves they were they were shocked with the end result and we have another case here the one you mentioned with Tridell and so I mean one of the things here the, the important thing is it's amazing what happens when you try <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and the other thing is okay well why aren't we trying and and you pointed out part of it but the, the, the biggest reason and this isn't just Toronto but this is a huge reason to Toronto and Ontario um, is as well is that the 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 problem the number number one problem with this why aren't they trying well the, there's a very simple explanation it's because the people who build the buildings are not the people People will operate the buildings yeah. in many cases. So the people who build the buildings want to sell the building. They build, they build the building and then they sell it to somebody. If you're going to sell something, you want to sell it for the lowest possible price. Uh, there's two ways you can do that. One, all this energy efficiency stuff costs extra upfront money. It, it saves tons of money down the road, but it has higher upfront costs. The second thing is that developing these plans, this experiment that you were talking about Trudell doing, the yes, once you have that design, you can copy and paste it infinitely right you mm-hmm. can make minor adjustments but you have to pay people to do that work and architects are, i know a few are not cheap yes so uh once you have a plan you just copy and paste it if you're a developer you just well i'm just going to use the same shell outline why spend another 2.2 2 million dollars developing a new plan when i have a plan that's 2.2 2 million dollars i now i'm just made every time i do a building by not having to redo the plans from scratch uh and so they go, and so they, they build to the lowest common denominator for the plans they already have, plans that are 40 years old, with, that weren't even energy efficient or top of the line at the time, that are now you know, not top of the line and 40 years out of date, uh, and that's what they build. And then the people who would actually reap the benefits uh, who might want this stuff, those buildings don't exist to buy. Right, So what we really have here is a very simple problem. You just put a regulation as where you don't get a choice. You must meet these standards. Everybody does it. And then all of a sudden, like this is an overnight solution problem. The problem is there's no clear way to do this, and there doesn't appear to be political. like There's no votes to get by doing this. Uh, where well, There are, but it's not perceived by politicians that there's votes to get by doing this, even though it's a simple thing that would have massive impacts, which is basically the tagline for every week's show.
1: Well, and s- small standards and regulations are not the sexiest of topics. Mm. Um, but what I'm going to use as a segue uh, to to <laughs> to how how you can find out uh, or uh, how you can understand uh, that extractive industries are uh, are are old. Uh, or old technologies, uh, or, or or at least are the, 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 the extractive industries are are sort of stuck in the past. Perhaps I'll use, mm. uh, which is these two very. This is, a, this is this is a bit of a fluff piece, and I'll admit. Uh, but I couldn't. But once I got to saw the second one, I, I just couldn't help myself because mm. uh, there's two different stories coming out coming out of one from the one from the oil sands and one from the Ring of Fire, uh, the mining uh, space in, in northern Ontario, of these of this, these absurd advertisements. For uh, So the one from the Ring of Fire is getting a little more attention, um, in, in part because it's actually set up from a, a much larger mining group um, in which two women in bikinis are used to try to sell you on, on, on basically mining, uh, on this mining project. And they're, they're explaining those sort of things. And, and the industry defended it by saying it's sex sells as if as if our decisions on whether or not we should do these massive extractive mining techniques and you know and disrupt these different these different uh, lands uh, especially like one part of it even has a woman in a bikini explaining like how they're going to reach out to aboriginal people and it's like you know what maybe actually reach out to them and don't weirdly sell it to us with a woman in a bikini This is just is not it's just this it's like they've it's like the 80s called their tactics want them back (laughs) like stop trying this maybe actually just act like humans are humans and talk to them and explain you know if you can make a good case for it you don't need to try to sell us sell us mining with sex.
0: I I actually blame Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I I blame him because I think he's shocked a whole bunch of um, people who are uh, big on deceiving the public. Um, and shocked them with the bounds, the, the the outer limits of just how full of it you can be uh, and how easily swayed a portion of the public is and the realization that you only need a part of the public to create a controversy about something and muddy the water, right? So he's, I mean, people, right winger has been trying to use that you know, stuff to get elected for a long time. He came right out and instead of whispering about it, just started punching people in the face. And to everyone's amazing, or, you know, yours and mine included, uh, it's been incredibly successful. And I think a lot of other people who, um, you know, it's a, it's a, Trump has literally broken the fact checkers. The thing There's something about like ninety eight percent of his statements were were rated as false. Like I just, it's, I don't even know how that's possible to be the, to be that untrue. Uh, you would it would require some effort uh, or some significant talent, but I think people have been paying attention. Be like, hey, you know what? Actually, the lowest common denominator is actually lower than even we thought it was. <laughs> uh, so let's just go for it. And and I do. I'm, I'm making a serious point here. I I do blame Trump for for this type of thing sort of coming back up. That's fair. Well, and part of it also I just
1: think it has to do with this just. You know, this is what happens when you don't know the audience are trying to win over. Hmm. Like the, 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 the second one is, is way worse. Uh, it's just it's, – it's so bad. Um, and it's it's from it's from the Canada oil sands community, um, and there are so many. <laughs> they're things, not at all suspect, are they? There are so many things about this advertisement that are offensive uh, that I can't even begin to explain. Uh, but it's, it's, so they're taking off a. It's an oil sands. It's it's, it's it's taking off from in part, I guess, what was actually a very long uh, right wing news, uh, or, or like sort of the Ezra Levant type, or actually literally Ezra Levant runs I think of Oil, which. Very much was trying to vilify and use racism to vilify other other countries uh which have dubious I will not say they don't, they don't have dubious human rights records uh but vilify them to make you support the oil sands and and in this one it just says in Canada, lesbians are considered hot in Saudi Arabia if you're lesbian, you die and like
0: can and I that, read, can I read this that, next part Yes, why are we getting our oil from countries that don't think lesbians are hot?
1: Like – and then it has this seductive picture of two women kissing. Everything about this is bad.
0: Everything about this is I bad. Think, I think actually the next line is actually the, the best slash worst, like best in the worst category, which is the choose equality, choose Canadian oil. Yeah. Like that – you can't have a more taped together like pair of concepts. <laughs> well, it,
1: it, what, I think I think what gets – what strikes me about, about this is that this is – this is decided that uh, that the – Like it's clear that their goal here – like the only thing I can understand about this is that I think in their minds they were going to be like, we're going to get support from this by people who care about human rights and then just basically completely objectify and do everything wrong (laughs) to make anyone who you weren't already on your side listen to. I can even – like there's nothing good about this advertisement.
0: Yeah. as yeah. far as as far as the, as far as it goes here, and we will we'll let it, uh, let Edward jump in here he's got to come in as well but like is this this to me is like on the level of as far as like things that people who are doing it think are cool compared to how completely offensive it is. This is like on the level of like blackface
1: this yeah, like this is a fourteen year old in high school. Who's just learned that, like, you know, that that just learned that the oil sands exist? And it's like I'm going to make a whole campaign about it. And it's going to be
0: like this is <laughs> I think ludicrous. I bad. think you've just insulted a lot of 14 year olds. I I might have to go lower. All right, fair enough. Uh, but let's let's let Edward jump in. Uh,
2: I think the the real flaw in this though is is yes in Saudi Arabia maybe you would would die if you're lesbian. I'm not sure on the facts on that, but. They ne- they never said whether or not Saudi Arabia f- finds lesbians hot. I don't think that's really covered, and I don't think that's really because, like, yes, maybe they they would get in trouble if if you are a lesbian. But I don't think they can
0: claim that they don't they don't find them attractive.
1: That's uh, they, they, they do not they do not clarify that that yeah, is true. Yeah.
0: You've just upgraded this Edward to fractally wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which just none mean, of that's right. <laughs> for, 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 for those of you who are not, aren't aren't familiar with that expression, uh, fractals are natural patterns that uh, represent each other at every scale. And uh. so, fractally wrong means you're you're wrong at every scale. You're wrong in the details. You're wrong in the big picture. There's every possible conceivable way in which you could be wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. This is fractally yeah. wrong.
1: Yeah. So like just to to my, I serious note on this and then we'll go to the music break, uh, which is just for obvious, obvious statements um, like the re- like this is offensive in every single way um, to in any way imply a like, yes, there are human rights concerns in Saudi Arabia unquestionably uh, to compare that to whether or not then objectifying like this is literally saying, hey, straight men. This is only for straight men. Um, And is using an entire subset of people who want to be ignored by you they don't need you random straight guy who wants to hear through you. you're not important in their lives yeah
0: as if we needed another way to cut this up uh but just for fun right before we go here this will be the last thing on it would be i would love to if 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 they really stand behind this argument and and they couldn't possibly um i would say they would have to put out the identical ad with two gay guys kissing someone and made say that. gay guys are, are hot yeah uh if they can't if they can't bring themselves to do that then i think that that's an admission
1: yeah yeah exactly. well it's 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 it, this is sexist. This is homophobic. This is racist. This is just like it's it's if I couldn't I it, oh, I saw it. And very few things make my jaw drop these days. I saw this <laughs> ad and I was blown away at its tone deafness in every
0: single way. All right. So Canadian uh, oil sands community. Faux, uh, faux, fo- or grassroots organization—you've just won the Donald Trump Award for this week. Yes, uh, Edward. What are we going to listen to you on our first music break?
2: All right, after one of the silliest ads um, I've ever seen. <laughs>
0: All right, and we are back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. You could be listening on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across the country, now internationally as well, uh, or on our uh, on rabble.ca. Our friends over there at rabble.ca. Uh, if you're listening to the uh, Green Majority podcast version, however, the the version found on our website, you will also find a bonus show uh, in which this week uh, we're going to probably talk about some of our cast off uh, some of the uh, the uh, tech uh, slash science news that we we probably won't have time to get to on the show which may include uh, a conversation about avocados i haven't decided yet may talk about some dissolving batteries perhaps some uh, uh plastic recycling not being cost effective anymore and its relation to fracking a whole bunch of really interesting things there's always way more news than we could possibly get to on the show uh here that we cover so uh, listen to the bonus show for that or as well check the website where i list all the stories whether we get to them or not that i dig up for the week so there we go uh but without further ado unfortunately it doesn't look like we're going to get Ma today but we do have her in virtual form uh, uh, because M.A. was uh, down at the Common Bound Conference, uh, which um, was an uh, organizing conference. Maybe, Stephanie, you can provide uh, more information. I,
1: well, it was, it's in Buffalo, New York. There you uh, go. From July 8th to 10th. Uh, and it's, it's three-pack days of discussion and collaboration
0: to drive the new economy. There you go. At and least if uh,
1: the Google tagline is to be
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ma was down there and, uh, and invited us to join us uh, as well. Unfortunately, we were unable to uh, to go, uh, but she went down there and interviewed a few folks. So we have a few interviews we're going to play from her over the next little while. Uh, right now, what we're going to listen to is a brief interview with Nancy Niemtan Naint- uh, uh, from Chateau de l'Economie Sociale. Uh, she's the strategic, uh, strategic advisor. And uh, Nancy is going to talk about the role of the social economy, uh, both the role it plays and the role it could play if it were more properly uh, supported. So without further ado, here's MMA Ma interviewing Nancy Neitem.
3: So I'm here with Nancy Neitman, the strategic advisor to Chantilly de l'Economie Sociale. And we're here on a beautiful day in Buffalo at Common Bound 2016. And I've just come back from hearing Nancy uh, speak in a very interesting conversation at one of the sessions. So, Nancy, first of all, um, I just want to start off um, having you speak to our listeners a little bit about uh, what is the social economy?
4: Well, the social economy can be defined in different ways. Uh, we, when we talk about it from a perspective of it, enterprise or an, uh, an organization we're talking about collectively owned enterprises so cooperatives nonprofits, mutuals that are within the economy so they're creating goods they're creating services but their ultimate goal is to benefit the community uh, and it they base themselves on certain basic rules which is putting people over capital and assuring democratic control So that's when we talk about social economy enterprises. And when we talk about the social economy movement, we're talking about a broader movement of all kinds of people working in all kinds of different organizations and social movements that are working together to create a more democratic and inclusive and sustainable economy.
3: And... Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about the Shanti, the organization you work for, and how you work in supportive, uh, in a
4: supportive way towards the social economy. It's the Shanti, and it's an organization that will be celebrating, actually, its 20th anniversary since its inception, and we've been a formal structure since 1999. And it's a, co- it's a network of networks, the Shanti, uh, that brings it has a mission. Our mission is to promote and develop the social economy, as a, as a piece, as a component of a new economic development model. And so to do that, we brought together people in, who in different ways aspire to that new economic de- development model and are actually working to, 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 to move that, that agenda forward. So part of our membership and part of our governance structure is made up of networks of, of, of social economy enterprises, worker co-ops, housing co-ops, parent-controlled nonprofit daycare, recycling businesses, and so on. Another part of our membership and governance structure is made up of people working in rural and urban communities to revitalize their community for the benefit of their local populations. And then, a third major part of our membership is is our social movements: the labor movement, the women's movement, the community movement, environmental movement, cultural democracy—all those who, who, who again are aspiring to social transformation and improving the lives of our of, of our citizens. Add to that uh, a, a, a particular relationship we have with the Assembly, Quebec Assembly of First Nations, that are officially members of our board as well, because they consider um, that the, our approach to, to to economic development is is very similar and has a lot of uh, uh, of intersection with the First Nations vision of. Of, of, the, of the earth, of community and how our economy should be based on, on, on responding to the needs of our planet and the needs of our, 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 of our people.
3: You had spoken earlier about some of the barriers around people gaining access to capital who want to deliver goods and services that are of benefit to communities and this perception of risks.
4: Now, how have you worked to address that issue? Yes, well we I mean obviously if we we're talking about wanting to do economic development, one way or another one has to deal with money and access to capital and that's a little bit The problem in the world today is that those who control capital, and it's a very small number of people, decide how development takes place. So we have been obsessed with the idea of being able to reappropriate and make sure that those who are doing development communities can control capital. So it's been a learning curve that has started over 20 years years ago when we first created our first investment fund that did uh, that lent non-guaranteed loans so, because we're not asking people to put their future on the table. This is for, you know money that is going into projects because we believe in them, um, and started to lend money to to small co-ops and non-profit organizations, um, and have had rem- had remarkable success because uh, because these enterprises are born out of needs and aspirations. They they last, they, you know, and so there's a there's a long term, and they pay back, and they're responsible. Uh, we we realized that, you know, small loans, we would go up to $50,000 was interesting, but a lot of these enterprises had more ambitions and greater needs. And so in 2007, we were able to create another financial tool that is called our, our, our trust is a $53 million fund where we can invest up to a million and a half in what we call patient capital. Which seems to be an oxymoron for those who are supposedly, you know, neoliberal financial experts, because capital is supposed to get in there quick, make a lot of money, and get out. And our idea was to, to get money in to allow communities to develop in a long process, and, and, and that we are very patient in terms of the capital being returned. And now, and these kinds of successes, uh, because they have been successful, and they've been able to show that our, that our default rate is so low that, you know, you don't have to run after high returns on investment. They can be reasonable financial returns because people are not defaulting. And so we've been able to prove to potential investors, pension funds and others, that this is a good investment. And now we've started to, we're building more and more financial tools for specific sectors, housing, daycare, and so on, because we know that this is good investment and because investors are interested in, in, in getting involved.
3: I wondered if you could speak a little bit about your sort of risk management or risk assessment framework, because perhaps you take a different approach to the conventional one.
4: You talked about looking at initiatives that are deeply rooted in the community. Absolutely. I think one, we, one of the first things we learned, and we learned it very quickly, that it's not the people who come in with a fancy business plan uh, that are necessarily going to be the best entrepreneurs and create the best enterprises uh, from our perspective. Um, that on the contrary, what we've learned is that we have to analyze um, the risk involved in these adventures from a totally other lens which is roots in the community an enterprise that is a collective enterprise that is well established and supported by the community its survival rates are, are extremely high and so that's the first thing we look at uh, and if, if we know that the community is supporting it, even if the business plan is not so good or even if you know, there's still the information, we would, we'll lend small amounts of money, we'll support, we'll find ways of, 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 of helping them to get it to be investment ready because we know, first of all, and that's our goal, is to invest in enterprises that are responding to needs of communities, but also because we know that if the community is behind it, its survival rate and its chance of success is much higher.
3: As I understand it, the social economy is about 10% of the economy in Quebec, and, and you've had um, some success in terms of engaging policymakers and getting a legislative framework established.
4: Yes, for many years, and this was one of the first things that we we worked on and worked on was the whole issue of recognizing that this is a legitimate form of the economy because neoliberal politicians would very much like to say that the only economy is in the stock market and the General Motors and the Bombardiers of this world. And so the issue of recognition was right from the beginning important so that this people knew that this is an option, that this way of developing a human-centered economy could be a tool for for them uh, and getting this into business schools and so on. And, and, and we were able to win in 2013 a um, new legislation that's called framework legislation that was actually adopted unanimously by our National Assembly um, that recognizes the social economy is an integral part of our socio-economic infrastructure and that requires government to take into account its existence when it develops uh you know public policy in terms of you know enterprise support for enterprise investment and so on that recognizes our organization as one of the privileged interlocutors of, of government on this issue and therefore allows us to to demand and and to fight uh, uh f- to have a level playing field because you know the private sector is getting a lot of support for government and we we have shown many times over that the same kind of support, but adapted to the reality and, the, and, the, and the, the, the final goals of a social economy, we can produce better results quicker uh, and with, with obviously more results for the common good and for, 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 for our communities.
3: So when you think about questions around sustainability and, and scaling up human-centered economies, say in the, the national Canadian context... What is what is your vision for the future around that? How do you think we advance this kind of way of um, looking at economics and looking at our, our systems as a
4: country? Well, we really have to work from a, from a systemic uh, you know, perspective in the sense that we have some opportunities now with the new federal government that is talking about social finance, they're talking about social innovation, they're talking about social enterprise. Uh, the issue is is making sure that that they're listening to what communities need as opposed to deciding somehow in in some ivory tower what is you know what is going to be good for you know for us and for for the work that's being done in, on the ground uh, but we also have to be working on developing financial instruments we have to be working on on, on, on on networking on learning from each other we have to be into the universities and this is happening more and more be, you know certainly in Quebec and but I think across Canada where young people are demanding that their management schools that their economic departments start talking about this stuff, teach this stuff. Uh, and I think that's one of the most uh, exciting things about what's going on in Quebec and in Canada and I would say around the world that this is a, a vision of, of the future, a sustainable, inclusive economy that we call social solidarity economy that speaks to young people. Um, and and so I think that one of the, one of the ways of building this economy and the, uh, is, to, is to really work with young people, work within the, the school system, within universities. Um, to To get the word out, um, but we also need public policy that recognizes uh, and supports this in the same way that you know Bombardier and all those other companies have gotten so much support. Well if we could only get you know the same kind of support, I think that we could make and we and we've seen it in, in several uh, several occasions in Quebec how we can make r- huge leaps forward.
3: Nancy, thank you so much for speaking to me on this beautiful day in Buffalo.
4: It's my pleasure.
0: All right. And so that was Emma Ma down at the Common Bound conference. We'll be uh, listening to a couple more interviews uh, that Emma produced while she was down there in upcoming weeks. And of course, we'll have links to information about the speaker and the conference itself, which I believe is going to be happening again next year, uh, more than likely. Uh, on the website, which you can find at GreenMajority.ca. Well, I mentioned the website. Perhaps mm. Stefan would like to tell us some information about uh, the about website. It?
1: We yes. have a new one. Yay! <laughs> that's the that's the fun thing. Uh, I just actually I just Instagrammed it actually, uh, because you know because we're hip with the kids. That's right. Actually, to be fair, I think I had to Snapchat it to be hip with the kids. So <laughs> we are not hip with the kids. We're hip with like the twenty seven year olds. Maybe yeah. I don't know who. Well, as, uses as, Instagram as
0: right. usual for thirty uh, something, uh, I'm like four years away from being cool right so it's like it's not completely out of touch but like not on the leading edge.
1: right yeah 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 i yeah.
0: uh, certainly well honestly there's probably something
1: else bef- even that, that isn't snapchat that people are on <laughs> now that i don't even know about uh which uh so so whatever that is i i could send this out on but instead i just instagrammed it uh picture of the front page at least uh it's a it's a brand new website it's uh, has all the same features as the previous website uh it's just uh and actually a couple other links it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a whole new thing uh so go check it out let us know what you think uh let me know i just actually uh, during that interview i just discovered one of the buttons didn't work and fixed it. So let me know if, <laughs> if the other buttons don't work uh, so I can fix them. Uh, but it has at least – actually, what's great about this website actually is that it will allow us to uh, keep some of our archive at least consistently on one page. That's right. Uh, instead of having to go to, to multiple different websites to find previous, uh, previous shows, you actually will – you can go through this website and actually see a bunch of them in a row. Uh, so that's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, just uh, has has some pictures of some of our has some new pictures of some uh, some people, and and also if you just miss seeing Kevin Farmer's face, uh, right. <laughs> He does he does show up, uh, which is which is always an advantage as well. Um, but to, to sort of to I guess actually now it's it's eleven forty. We can we can go out to music break and then jump back in if we if you like.
0: Yeah. Okay. Why don't we do that? Uh, so we got uh, I had a few uh, technology things that were uh, tagged there. Uh, as well, I, I I even have a couple of thoughts about the interview that we just had, but for the uh, sake of keeping to our schedule, why don't we'll. Um the technology stuff I, I feel like is the, is the sort of thing that is, is really good bonus show material ah. so yeah why don't we skip right over that uh, we'll pick a couple of those technology ones to get to in the bonus show as well uh, please do make sure you check out this new brand new website though aside from seeing Stefan's hard work it was uh, 100% Stefan uh, putting it together uh, for both credit and criticism email yes. Stefan you at greenmajority.ca <laughs> uh, and we'll leave it there for now uh, but do go check it out check out our new fancy new website uh, which Stefan worked very hard on it looks great where you will also find links to all of these news stories that they're so far even at this point in the program already about 10 that i had flagged that we've skipped over so lots had going on maybe some stuff that uh, that you uh, f- would find more interesting than what we had talked about i hope that's not the case but <laughs> if it is perhaps check it out maybe there's something there that will grab your attention you can do that at greenmajority.ca but let's go back to uh, edward now and before we go to our music break this is sadly going to be your last show for a while. No. Uh, do you have uh, maybe, well, not a minute of silence. I can give you like five seconds of silence. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you maybe uh, say you're going off to greater things? What's going on?
2: Uh, yeah, no, no, not really greater things. No. But <laughs> just busy. Uh, yeah, just busy. Um, yeah, because for me, uh, I go to U of T, and so that's starting up pretty soon, and I've just been busy a lot with work. So I thought it would be a good chance to, uh, you know, kind of move on and, and try and go to better things, I guess. Real-life um, responsibility. Yeah, real-life responsibility. What are you
0: trying to say about us? Uh,
2: <laughs> He's hip with the kids. Uh, <laughs> He's too busy on Snapchat. Yeah, yeah no. But um, I, I would like to say, though, I have learned a lot with this show. Um, I didn't come in with a whole lot of knowledge, but I think I've left with a lot more. Um, and it's made me definitely more socially aware. Um, and, and I always enjoyed doing this show um and i hopefully will be coming back once in a while or possibly if if things open up for me i may even come back full time um but at least alex is here and you know he'll he'll produce a very nice show you won't have as many blips and cut offs <laughs> and stuff so um, but, but yeah,
0: we also won't hear songs from way back. Yeah, I know. No way I, back I, I songs. I knew we
1: had to get the way back in there on the show. I had to get the way back. Reference not as
2: there. much classic rock. <laughs> um,
0: it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be different.
1: So right. so, what is the song that you're gonna use to play yourself out?
2: I'm gonna play. I thought this was. I thought this was pretty like kind of good. Um, it's the Spirit of the Radio by Rush. There so it's classic rock. It's an oldie, and it's kind of like radio themed. Well so done. There you I go. I thought it was good. All right, all right. Here it is: Spirit of the Radio by Rush.
0: All right, we're back. We're now into the final section of the Green Majority Radio program. You are listening on CIUT 89.5 FM or possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners, uh, international radio partners as well, or on rabble.ca, another great place you can listen to the show. Or you can get the extended version of the show with a bonus show at greenmajority.ca, where you can also check out our brand new website. Uh, without uh, further delay, however, we have our international section, our loosely, uh, loosely called international section mm-hmm. here at this point I have a brief story of intrigue here uh, meant in the in the literal sense I guess uh, uh, or in the, the the best sense I guess of intrigue which international intrigue uh, here just really quickly touching in the UK so there's a bit of a kerfuffle right now uh, I, I'm using the word kerfuffle because there's like 40 articles about this on just the Guardian website <laughs> alone uh, so but I I actually missed the original story but there was a there's a an American dual citizen um, with a dual citizen American uh, Chinese who was working on, um, in some capacity, uh, in the U.S. Uh, with nuclear uh, technology, well, uh, I and- it, it, but he was also then working out of. Uh, hinkley's in is in is in the U.K. Yeah. So uh, I'm not clear. No. So the, yeah, the Hinkley, the power plant. So the, the, it's a confusing story. I had yeah. to read three articles uh, about sort of this to understand actually it. understand. <laughs> so what happened was, uh, was this guy was arrested on espionage charges for trying to circumnavigate the rules about exporting nuclear secrets uh, in the U S hmm. uh, he, he is a top official. It was there sort of on behalf of a Chinese uh, state sponsored, Company, which is some, which is a tangent we could take because Chinese uh, state-owned companies also have huge investment in the oil sands. We reported years ago that they had at one point had a more than fifty-one percent share in the oil sands. So I don't know if that's still true. It was at one time true. Um, So that's sort of the minor, minor Canadian connection here. Uh, But so essentially, what happened was so. this is the the company that he worked for is the same company that has a one third involvement in a giant uh, uh, Hinkley uh, Point nuclear plant that was uh, stated to be uh, built in the U.S. Uh, in the U.K. with. The one-third ownership from this Chinese state-owned company. So because the company is sort of through this uh, in in America, uh, was charged with espionage, now there's heat on the UK government to drop the project because they're concerned about having the same company involved with their nuclear program. Uh, However, it's a little bit stickier than that because if it seems like that's a bit of a loose connection, uh, it does really feel that way. So uh, there's sort of It, it feels like there 's some three dimensional sort of behind the scenes political chess here taking uh, place as well because of course we have a brand new uh u k government that 's also coming in um so there there 's a lot going on here, and I, feel, I think we 're going to have to wait a little while for the dust to settle i 'm not even going to go in any further into it just because there there seems like there 's still so much in the air here uh, but the, the the reason I flagged it at all was a you just i enjoy stories of intrigue mm-hmm. uh, any, any any article with the word spy" in it is going to grab my attention oh, yeah, exactly um, we but, can just do a spy show yeah well we could we could and should. Well, Let's we'll put a, we'll put a note on yeah, that
1: CIT, one. CIT lets, if c i t lets us do a second hour,
0: it will be almost yeah. five stories all the time <laughs> <laughs> Stefan will be the producer for that part. Uh, so the the only the only link here i I think I could make um before we move on was just the idea that this is i i think further legitimacy to the idea of you know propagating power as a thing and and why we should be focused on power that is not easily transferred to weapons is that we wouldn't be have this problem if the UK was building a $18 billion uh, tidal facility or solar facility and just another reason why both oil and gas and nuclear have huge huge downsides uh, is the you know in in nuclear 's case the weaponization and we, we just that we wouldn 't even be having these conversations there there wouldn 't be a problem if we weren 't talking about these uh, these power types and it, and it does play into weapons conversations and I think that that uh, too often gets left off uh, and not not from the activist sides by any mean that 's sort of their main their main point here or one of their main points is the nuclear waste and the and the and the uh, the, the the fact that this pre- presents both native uh, terrorist targets uh, and the exportation of nuclear waste to be to make things like dirty bombs uh, is a legitimate concern here. And and we have some of that concern now playing out uh, in international politics as well, potentially affecting the relationship between not only the further sort of muddying the relationship between the US and China, but also now between the UK and China as well. Uh, but I think that's all we'll all the time we'll spend on that for now, Stefan. Yeah, so, so
1: I'm going to make the great leap. Uh, from nuclear spies to avocados. Avocados. Uh, Avocado spies. Avocado spies, um, which is a story uh, which is, it's one of those things where every once in a while you get a new story about like, this new thing that everyone is eating is
0: causing untold damage other places. Uh, and this is another one of them. No, no, the first story is that it's a superfood that cures cancer. Right. The second story is that it's now being mass-produced in such quantities that it's tearing out rainforest.
1: Right, yeah. And the third one is that local populations that used to rely on this food uh, are now no longer able to afford it because it's cost more to export, and so now they're eating other things, and it's worse. Yeah. And, finally, it,
0: <laughs> and finally, it turns out the reports were greatly exaggerated, and it wasn't that good for you in the first place. That but, is the complete yes, cycle of yes. those new
1: stories. Except that you are now still eating it forever. That's right. Uh, so you're welcome quinoa. Uh, <laughs> and and this moved on to avocados, which which do fair uh are a little less uh hyped. That's right. Um, yeah, they are, but they're they're so good.
0: delicious. Yes.
1: Um and and the main so the story here really is that uh Mexico is actually having this larger problem uh with as the increase of demand for avocados uh increases. And in the, so it started in the United states uh, and it was funny it's like quite honestly with with, with guacamole for for the Super Bowl mm-hmm. uh, and like that like that was enough to like you know everyone learned that avocados were delicious and Mexicans were like yeah we know we've had them forever but then the, the Americans were like no seriously guys these are really good they're like no we've had them forever um, <laughs> and then but we'll pay you way more money for it uh, Well, and
0: really importantly here and I, I think you actually just uh, misspoke uh, but the, the, there's not actually there's not necessarily the biggest connection isn't necessarily to demand is that price is going up and the reason price is going up is because of climate change they're harder and harder to grow so it's actually a supply side issue as to so why price is skyrocketing, but in the, and the increased price from a, a, a supply. So it's all connected. Yes, right, you weren't, yeah. you weren't, you weren't like, wrong. But I think the the highest point of the article was was about the unless I'm wrong was that was that the, the they were the cost was going up and that cost was going up due to the fact that their production was down.
1: Well, no, well maybe product, So avocado production is not down. Uh, that is at least it might be down the last couple of years. But between two thousand and two thousand two thousand one and two thousand ten, avocado production in uh, in in one part of Mexico called me uh, Mikokin? You're trying to mispronounce yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> tripled. Uh, but, what's, but what's interesting is that the, price tripl- the, 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 the production tripled, but exports rose 10 times. Mm, so suddenly okay. a lot oh. of the food that was st- staying in area is now being exported out um and and that's and that's and a lot of that was and that's according to a report uh, published in 2012 uh, by tapia Var- the tapia Vargas Institute um and and was and, and that is only a part of the larger concern that that's that's the United States demand uh Avocado demand in China is 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 increasing by about two hundred percent every year, mm. uh, and so as soon as that demand hits the market, these prices are getting, getting, increasing further. Mm. Uh, and if you want to know why that matters, it matters because suddenly people are now trying to basically hide growing avocados everywhere. Uh, it's estimated that uh, about seven hundred hectares of forests were lost in, in a, a year in Mexico between two thousand two thousand ten um, to to this avocado. Uh, production, uh, and, and so much so that, like, apparently, you are even seeing forests that look like forests, but have avocados hiding in the underbrush uh, because of this fact. Um, and so, all of this is to say that eating in season and local uh, has added benefits, uh, including not destroying a ton and ton of uh, forests that exist in, uh, in in places like Mexico.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and, and and without getting into. Um you know, with the too much. I want to get to one more thing here before the end of the show. But mm-hmm. uh, the the thing there too is, I mean, uh, the and, and this is actually something you've brought up before uh, repeatedly, Stefan. This idea about well, you just there you know, about there's yes, there is just things you're just not going to be able to have in this climate changed world, uh, and you just have to ex- accept that yeah. this means certain things. like you don't get to do that anymore,
1: or at least that you have to pay more for it. It, ha- it has to stop being an everyday mm-hmm. thing and start being like a, a, a an actual treat, right? You yeah. Have, and, and and if you've ever grown food in your in your in your own backyard, you understand how much better fresh things are anyways um or if you've ever had a mec- uh, had a mango off the off the tree rather than shipped all the way up here you know the, the value of eating local
0: right and it's the it's the difficulty and the, but it's a similar thing to you know my famous uh occasionally good but I go to them no matter what 100 percent of the time whether good or not metaphors mm-hmm. uh is the idea <laughs> of like having like a tray of chocolate cake mm-hmm. uh and you're hungry um and say there's four slices left well one slice would satiate you, but there are four in existence. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean you have to eat all four, but whether or not you want one, uh, you know, whether or not you're hungry and you need to eat one, let's say, cause that's the only food around. Uh, and whether you have the ability technically to eat four, at some point you will run out right there. You could not under any circumstances eat more than four. And so the, the, with the comparison I'm trying to make here is that the idea that due to climate change and whether it be climate change, reducing the supply side, which is mixed into all of this as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, uh, whether, again, Without getting get sidetracked, coming back to what we were saying, so I was talking about the idea that because of climate change, each hectare of land will produce more avocados. So to increase production, you have to gra- uh, increase more and more the rate of area that you have to grow them, and that's what you were talking about has to grow and grow. But uh, like at some point, there's just going to be a limit. There's and the climate change impacts will keep raising uh, prices, will keep raising the ability to find more land to grow them will will run out. And at some there's an upper limit to just how much we can produce, and it, eventually the market will have to contract. Right? It doesn't matter what market you're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, it can. Only, it can't sustain explosive growth, right? And at some point it will contract. And so the thing here is, is also doing this is that, you know, there's so many side effects from having these, you know, boom and bust cycles of various this, certain types of crops is that it destroys the land. It makes it terrible to plant. It eats up all this rainforest. So, okay. So if we understand that at some point there's going to be a thing, whether we do anything or not, whether we have any willpower or not, there's only four slices of cake. Mm-hmm. So we know a stopping or reducing consumption is, non, is non-optional. If we know that, and we know, but and we know that maybe having one more avocado and not four, or we're having one slice of cake and not four is now there there's we're going to have to stop what you know having the willpower to stop at that first slice and having the willpower to say you know what i'm just not going to eat things that don't come from my local thing before they're taxed you know in a way that decide to make it that it's not negotiable mm-hmm. and i think that's really the trick here because you know we can talk about we want these regulations but they're not going to come through because there's more mar- you know it's very difficult to get them because there's market demand but and at some point it has to come down to just consumers saying i'm not going to purchase that do they have the willpower
1: well well none of that when you've seen it the, the- What's interesting about that is that what is uh, if you're basing your if you're basing your uh, your eating habits off trying to find the cheapest food possible, uh, and and that's how you're budgeting your 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 time out. You're setting yourself up to be hit by these market shocks. Uh, whereas if you're already eating things that sort of are you know that are already priced a little higher because they're local and because they're because they're so lo- locally sourced, you have the ability uh, you won't you won't feel the market shocks because because you, they are already like they aren't the things not being affected right now. Um, and so, and so I think if you're to budget yourself into expecting, you know, again, and there's a huge other conversation here about food security and requirements of, of governments to, uh, to actually be able to support and support citizens and actually being able to afford these food, these food increases, um, because that's a massive part of this and has to be a part of the conversation. Um, but as far as like people you know who are make, who are buying avocados because avocados are luxury food no matter how for all, for anyone here in Canada, um, if you're if you're at least focusing on purchasing things that are local or at least or, or at least sustainably sourced, you can be assured that your price isn't going to increase as much when these market shocks do hit you.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, we did eat up our time with that, uh, despite my best efforts. But I think being clear on the few things we do talk about is better. Uh, saying, "Shotcutting as many, you know, th- as many things as possible." Yeah. So we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, we're basically out of time here. We will have a bonus show, though. We're going to talk about uh, any or all of the following uh, on the bonus show: dissolving batteries, uh, synthetic leaves that are ten times more efficient than for natural s- synthesis than natural leaves, and the idea that the Green Party could uh, uh, shoot over the NDP as uh, sort of leading up as being being closer to being something representing an official opposition and getting market share based on the idea of proportional representation. Any or all of those will be discussed on the bonus show if you're listening to the podcast. Other than that, have a good green week, folks. Thanks for listening to The Green Majority and take care. We'll talk to you all real soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, we're happy to hear from uh, M.A. down there at Comet Bound. Hopefully she herself will be joining us uh, before too much longer. We have a couple more clips to play from her as well. We ended up uh, skipping the science news, unfortunately, just because it was going to take a little too much time to explain, Uh, but we did link to the articles. However, please enjoy our conversation about proportional representation and about corruption in the news media. Well, bad reporting. I call it corruption. If you can support the show, we really need your support. You can become a member of the Green Majority and help get our uh, program out there to more and more folks. You can do that at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Enjoy the bonus show.
1: And welcome to the bonus show. This is my welcome to the bonus show voice. It will last until I finish. Welcome you to the Green Majority bonus show. All right, that's done. Uh, we are here, obviously, with Darren Kaster and Ed. Edward Breeden. Edward Edward Breeden. <laughs> I, 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 I'll give you a full name. Fine. Uh, it's been
0: it's been a while since I've been forced to remember what your last name is. Yeah. yeah. Well. I was
1: gonna go with you know I was just gonna go with Ed and just figured you were yeah. like share and that you just didn't have a last name.
2: <laughs> I just felt inadequate next to Darren Casey. I was like, uh, oh, I need a full name. Uh,
1: that's fair. That's <laughs> a good point. Full names are important. I'm of course Seven Hostetter. Welcome to the bonus show. Uh, and we we referenced this uh, this this short story on I think is IPolitics on the show and so we're to cover it briefly. Not so much. Because of the conversation itself, because it was, uh, because I feel like it's one of those things where it's like at a Green Party convention, someone said we could do better, at, which is you know not that shocking. Oh. Uh, but what I do want to talk about is electoral reform in Canada. Uh, so in this, in the story itself in IPolitics uh, is covers basically this idea that the Green Party could leapfrog uh, the the NDP in support basically. And it comes from a former pollster who has, you know, who's, but also obviously is is enough of a supporter that went to a some sort of what's the exact uh, so it's Ecos pollster Frank Graves is the name sorry could win more seats um, and then but of course it's one of those things where you read that and it's like well why is that and it's like oh well if we fundamentally change our voting structure then they could do that and it's like okay well that seems like you bury the lead there right. um, given that fundamentally changing our voting structure is the important part of brought in this conversation not whether or not what that impacts the lab yeah, anyway it,
0: it seems more like the takeaway from that was uh, I w- was actually the opposite conclusion because mm. changing the voting structure would drastically change the power dynamic, the parties with power have nothing to win, have nothing to gain, have everything to lose to give to the Green Party. So it, it, the article like, seemed like the intention was hey, the Greens could do much better in the near future. My takeaway was there's no chance the other parties will, will pass proportional representation because they'll only lose from it. So here's what I think so is so so the opposite what, takeaway.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I totally agree with you. And what I find so interesting is actually, the... I, I was talking with a friend recently about the, what the Liberals are doing, and I realize it's brilliant. Uh, and it's 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 a very specific plan, and it's it's a couple different steps, and I think it's as far as political tactics goes is one of the more interesting ideas. Again, they haven't said this obviously, but if but let me hash it out. Basically, the Trudeau government ran on changing our voting system. Uh, then they then they accepted the idea of having a of having a voting system. Uh, the parties set up in the in the in the sort of committee they created of, of, of elected parties that they wouldn't have the majority. Uh, so they would have to get either the NDP or Conservatives on side, and they could have just made, they could have just given themselves the majority because they have the majority of seats, and they could have walked away with it. But that is actually, um, but the fundamental interesting was that that's that is, in my mind, brilliant because so what I realize what they've done is they want proportional representation over ranked ballots. Um, because sorry, 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 they want ranked ballots over proportional representation. Okay. Sorry, I mix it up. Because ranked ballots obviously benefit the liberals in a far, far more way than than proportional representation. Propor- yeah. Proportional representation almost guarantees a minority government all the time.
0: So am I, am I right in parsing this? Because like, this is something that I'm, I'm very much not an expert on. The, yeah. the, the, the fundamental, I realize there's like 30 different plans under both of those two categories. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about two things. We're talking about two groups of things. Right. My understanding of those two groups of things is that ranked ballots is changing the way you vote. And proportional representation is essentially you keep the way you vote the same, but you just count the votes differently
1: uh so it's doing yeah. two
0: fundamentally different things
1: yes, but also but but also uh ranked ballots um allow you to keep the seat system that we have currently, whereas proportional representation changes that you're not voting for a person anymore you're basically voting for a party
0: right Which so is, that sounds terrible
1: so it's a very different so it's a por- so proportion representation you vote for a party and then they have a list of people that they go through that they they, they then add to the community uh, so it ends up being uh, it so the people joining are not necessarily as localized in the community you don't have to be from that community really to, to end up but and also that you won't have representation in the same sort of way they you wouldn't just randomly assign a liberal to be handling say you know this this certain uh, this in this certain area mm. um, whereas proportional representation or sorry, whereas ranked ballots basically it's where you know you vote you Put your your candidates in order right I want to vote conservative first liberal second NDP third uh, greens fourth And what that means though of course is that the proportional representation likely means that you know what you saw in the last election will probably happen again uh, with the rough percentages around. You get thirty-ish, thirty-five-ish percentage liberals, thirty-five-ish, like thirty-three or thirty-two-ish percentage conservative, and then the rest of pushed up be the block of the Greens and the NDP. Uh, and what also and proportional representation also means that you're going to get a lot of more uh, more fringe candidates because uh, if you get one percent of the vote as a fringe candidate as a fringe party, you get a, you get a seat. And so that's one thing that happens poor representation. Mm. So to get back to liberals' plan, uh, proportional representation obviously is not as good for liberals because in a ranked ballot system, uh, they are likely the second choice for most people. Mm. Most people are going to go, you know, NDP liberals, maybe NDP greens, liberals, uh, then conservatives, or however they're going to okay. do that thing. And the conservatives probably will end up also putting the liberals second or won't put anyone second. Um, and so that... Unquestionably helps the liberals So how do liberals find a way To get that be the one that's passed Without having this larger Without having this larger con- with, Without having to be Without being sort of attacked On the one supporting this, this Well
0: this, y- Sorry go ahead
1: Yeah well you give up The pa- you, give, you give up your decision making power um, and, and you run on The, and the conservatives are going to de- Are going to say no no matter what Because they want a referendum On this issue yeah. uh, And then the, and, and if the NDP then also Rejects ranked ballots Then the liberals get to say Look we tried Mm. We wanted to choose the thing that we wanted to change. Vote. We ran a vote changing the voting system. We tried to change the voting system, and both other major parties refused.
0: And what are you going to do as a as another option? Vote for the people who prevented us from doing this? Yeah. Well, exactly. So and either
1: way, they win. Really. Well, well <laughs> exactly. They're currently in a scenario where they're where they're basically guaranteed. Like, the, like, I cannot imagine they don't win in another four years. And they get to, unless they unless they sort of literally mess this one thing up. Um, and but they've managed to put themselves in a scenario where they can almost certainly in four years either run on. A system that benefits them still, or on a system that allows them to, uh, or, or on on the same system that they just won on, they they don't have to give up power. Uh, and it's So this is what I find interesting Is that what this entire article is about Is about how the Green Party could win In a proportional representation system I think it's very unlikely we end up seeing Proportional representation rather than ranked ballots uh, Because it just Because the party, as you said Darren, the party in power Benefits from the system that currently is in place And proportional representation But ranked ballots is certainly better than what we have That's unquestionable sure. It's better than what we have But it's not, it's, it, it still benefits the liberals yeah. Um, and it's it's so... Anyways, so if the, this, that's my prediction of what's going to happen. I bet you in four years we see Trudeau running on a look. I tried. I got blocked in every way. Uh, we have to do Despite this again Despite
0: having a, a record-setting majority of power. Yeah. Uh, what and we then, do? And
1: then you'll, you see the same thing where the liberals win with 35, 40% of the vote uh, and win a majority again because that's how the system currently works. I, yeah.
0: would,
2: I would actually be okay with that, though. Like, yes, maybe... The, well, they'll probably win again, like you were saying. Yeah. But then at least it's changed. It's, like, officially done if that, if that does happen. I, I don't think and it then, will change
1: because i think both parties will brought will, 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 will block most likely
2: i like i don't think i think like, that's the thing is i don't think
1: i think both parties see this as the one opportunity they get to actually change it to proportional representation and i don't think we'll see that change because both our parties will block ranked ballots which liberals will put forward and then we won't see anything
0: yeah that's so, my prediction i think i think there's two things here one i'm i'm reminded very much of this conversation of the conversation uh that you brought up or, or the idea that you brought up earlier which is the idea of uh, coal plants screaming to be regulated before they get regulated out of existence mm. and, and, you know, set the rules in our favor before someone else does. And and I think that sounds like very similar to what you're talking about here, which is, you know, the liberals know this is a hot issue. Uh, it's providing support to the two sort of uh, less likely to be, you know, in a position to take government parties, the NDP and the Greens, Uh, But because, you know, those two because people are really, you know, upset about that issue, support is bleeding to these two alternative parties because they think, okay, well, the main the conservatives and liberals aren't going to do it. So if this is interest, they see that as a threat. So they're kind of like they're regulating themselves before someone else before voters decide to go elsewhere to get this stuff that they want. Uh, So, yeah, I think I think that as far as a game plan makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't share your assumption that uh, this will work. Uh, I don't think Canadians will go for it. Uh, I think the Canadi- uh, I think the Liberals are playing a really dangerous game because I think m- not that people are more interested in politics than they used to be. Maybe they are. Uh, maybe they're not. But I think all Canadians are aware of like the the idea that this is a record setting majority and that this was historic. The amount of power that they got and and all this sort of thing and that many of those voters, yes, were anti conservative voters, but many of them were also like you know many many people are in this country sort of dyed in the wool liberals will save the world and they're the best party and whatever and i just i don't know i think they're playing a dangerous game i think they're playing the sort of dangerous game that the clinton campaign is playing which is like let's be boring and let's be establishment and keep our heads down uh yeah that could work and they could end up crushing trump i mean by the time november 8th comes along they could have a 40 point lead on him uh but it's also possible that people are so sick of the establishment that they vote Trump, despite the fact that that's a terrible idea, just because they're so angry about being manipulated. And I'm concerned that a similar, although usually less, uh, story could play out here. I mean, we've talked repeatedly on this program about the fact that there's sort of a lag between the US politics and Canada politics. And like eight to 10 years later, their politics comes north in many cases. And I don't know, I'm seriously I'm seriously concerned that they could be uh, overplaying their hand here and, and playing a little bit of dangerous game that where we could end up with because of this, you know, something like another insane crazy didn't learn a single lesson conservative government because well, the left wing starts all fighting with each other over proportional representation well that's the real I think that's the
1: real concern for me is that the is that either pro- proportional representation or ranked ballots almost guarantees the conservatives do not get elected again mm-hmm. like it, 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 unless the progressive conservatives actually come back towards the center, as the they, they are, they are well, no one's as, second choice.
0: It's, it's as the outside party, there's a chance they could try and that like there is a tactic there. I don't necessarily think it's a winning tactic, but there is, there is an angle for them there, even the conservatives under promoting this.
1: Yeah, but, but and, and and they but but clearly ca- it it decided they want to run on a we must ask for a reform bill, which is, is which is straight up saying we don't want anything, mm. like asking for a, asking for a referendum uh, on this issue, which there are so many other multiple options of ways you could do this. I don't see, like how do you do a referendum and offer 16 options? Yeah. Like you can't, you, I, like and I don't understand how that even would work, and they know that they know that it'd be almost impossible. They know people wouldn't fully understand it, and they know that like, and so they like it's the same thing that they did in, in BC to get the same thing shut down, mm-hmm. is that they is that they ran they forced a referendum and the referendum failed because people didn't
0: understand what was going on. All right, so I think. I'm 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 really on the I'm really on the fence here. We'll do some like live decision making here. Yeah. Uh there's a there's a bunch of technology stuff I want to talk about, but I feel like we really need like a lot of time to dig through it. Mm. So I'm tempted to um instead talk about uh, and just let people re- read through this. There's a bunch of really interesting scientific American uh, articles and I don't know that we're going to do a great job of like fully explaining them. So I'm tempted to just say uh that I kind of want to reference the uh uh, the the article about the um, uh, what was it called here I got it in front of me oh the uh, the clexit from the UK and the idea so this is the climate exit and it, the idea it's a movement um, it's supporting the idea of leaving all the climate agreements uh, in the following in the wake of Brexit and sort of this older generation of nationalistic type uh, you know conservative uh, leaning type voters uh, who are like hey we won on Brexit so let's now you know go and get rid of other stuff and it's the article mostly like uh, not to dig you know deeply back into u k politics but just this being a sort of legitimate um uh uh trend uh of just sort of this idea of anti intellectualism um, right. so yeah I don't know. We, should, do you, we can bite into one of the science ones if you want, but I, I have a few things I could say about that. What do you
1: want? Uh, to do? I, I'm, I'm melting, and I feel like the uh, I feel like the science ones will take longer. So let's okay. do the other one. Uh, we, and we moved. We moved from our air conditioned
0: studio to a non air conditioned studio. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's brutal, and it's very it's, hot. It's awful. It's okay. like
2: it's like a TTC subway train. That's how bad it is in here <laughs> for for you Toronto people. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> All right. So a decision has been made. Um, Stefan, what are your thoughts on? We don't have to dig specifically in the, in the specifics of the UK, but what are your thoughts on this? Just sort of anti-intellectual trend oh i i i think it comes
1: down to this um like, it's an it's it's frustrating i think mostly uh because we've because the i think anti, I, I think this anti-intellectualism is really to sort ends up it boils down to the sort of um people have been told that Told these maxims exist For a very long time And all these max and, and, and everyone It doesn't People don't People don't parse Between what a You know what a left wing Or right wing intellectual Like The people who are intellectuals Just don't want like people Who to want to use these numbers They don't understand It doesn't matter If they're left or right wing And so the fact that Like we've had like 20-30 years Of the sort of Being like We'll do more free tr- Like we will get These massive free trade deals and, and, the, and we will like You know And you Just like This listen to us Listen to us Listen to us That is so obviously failed people for 30, 40 years now, um, you know, as wages stagnate and like that, they've, they've been told that this is going to solve their problems forever. Uh, and they all they've seen is this problem is worse. And there's a really interesting conversation right now going on in the states about the the states' job numbers are up, the states' economy numbers are up, the, the Dow Jones stuff is the best it's been since 1999, and yet the and yet that doesn't reflect people's lived realities because these lived realities are so. You know, we talk about decoupling here a lot, but about decoupling. We talk about decoupling the actual, you know, econ- economic growth from 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 fo- from fossil fuel use. But there's also decoupling going on from economic growth from people's livelihoods. And so we're seeing this situation now where people have been told for 20 30 years that that we that we're doing the right thing and that pay t- like this will be fine. Um, and then and then consistently show that that's not the case. And so uh, it makes perfect – if you've been told 23 30, 30 years that, that the smart people in the, in the cities are, 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 know what they're talking about and then your life has been getting, getting worse, you lost your job or whatever, or, you're, you know, your factory, you moved out, of course you're going to think they don't know anything. Let yeah. alone – and, and it doesn't matter whether or not it, at the same time the people in the in the God of Towers were also had other people who are saying, actually, no, it's not a good idea. We should be doing this other thing. They, that, they're the same people. Yeah. Like urbanites are the same. Like, and so I think it's – it comes down to this thing, that separation between uh, how good the economy looks like it's doing, which we've on the show conduct for, forever, GDP does not reference how well the, the wor- how well you live. Yeah. Um,
0: if an oil uh, train explodes and we have to spend money to clean up the oil and, and replace people's homes, that increases GDP.
1: Yeah. Well, the, 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 theoretically, the, all the flooding and, and the fires in Fort McMurray will increase Fort yeah. McMurray's GDP. Terrorist attacks increase GDP. Yeah. Like these oh are – we can go on forever. <laughs> but these are, these, are, these, are, these are things. The GDP has nothing to do really, – it's very little – like is correlated but not causing well-being. And I think that fact alone is what we're seeing. We're seeing the further and further separation between the correlation uh, between people, how well the economy is doing by numbers, and how well people's general lives are. Um, and that is causing this hatred of the people who say they know what they're talking about because they have proven they haven't know what they're talking about for the last 20, 30 years. Are so you?
0: does that mean that while we're on our uh, member-supported bonus airtime right now, that yeah. uh, we can uh, take a hatchet to the mainstream media here? <laughs> uh, just because I think that like the uh, the part of the Part of the problem is that, yeah, as you say, like, you know, the news reports all talk about the numbers they get from Wall Street, right? And from Bay Street and that sort of thing. And so they are the ones talk, plastering all that, just as one example, plastering all the thing about, oh, economy is doing well and this and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it doesn't connect to people's lives, as you were saying. And so they read on the news, oh, this is going really well. Uh, but individuals' lives are not getting better. So they, you know, they write off uh, the finan- – they, they just learn to, like, not accept things that they hear. And so when people – yeah, I think you, you got it correctly. I mean that was one, one angle having to do with, like, you know, GDP and income. But, like, all these sorts of things. Oh, there's a huge you know, disaster. The air is terrible. Well, my air is fine. You know, what I'm, being, what I'm being told does not connect to my experience. Therefore, I don't have to listen to you. Right. Because it's just propaganda and they may have an inkling. And I think many, you know, conservatives, uh, you know, have an inkling that, you know, for instance, in the US, that the things on Fox News aren't necessarily true, but they're like, okay, well, everybody's full of crap. So I'm just going to go with the thing that I my gut. See, tells me is true, and if that happens to line up with something an expert says, then fine, I'll accept that expert. But in all other cases, those guys are they're just making stuff up. They're just opinionated like I am. So when it's a bunch of opinions versus each other, I'm going to take mine. Well, it's that it's a
1: facts versus feelings thing. It's yeah. like you know, you see Newt Gingrich uh, in an interview literally say, "Well, it feels like crime is increasing," mm-hmm. and so that ma- that's that's just as true. And it's like yeah. it's and then you like it's statistically not increasing; it is decreasing, but it feels like it is. And as soon as you get to that point in time you're just it's it's you're not you're not even having a conversation
0: yeah. yeah but i think where that where that sort of plays out though is the idea is the idea that um if people are uh if people are um you know what i, I had a thought and i lost it ed wants to talk go
2: ahead yeah. darn it i i knocked the thought out of your head sorry <laughs> about that um but yeah i think i think it comes back a lot of it to to sort of actually how the way we're educating people in that you know, a lot of the things we're learning, we're not learning about you know different ways political systems are run. We're not learning about the things we have to vote on in the next election. What we're learning them from is is Fox News, is from you know like whatever news station we happen to tune into, and we're not we're not be given we're given opinions on things. We're not given, you know, the facts and, and, and how things actually work. And a lot of people think, you know, they, they want to vote on different things. And, I mean, even I watched a video on um, a creationist museum, and it was, it was the craziest thing. They're, like, Can't saying handle. how, you know, dinosaurs <laughs> were on the ark, and then they just kind of died out on their own, and, and how humans were hanging out with dinosaurs. And I was like, these are the people that are voting for you know Trump or, or 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 listening to these things and they just say oh in, in my opinion it's it's this way or it's that way they're not they don't have the facts to base it up
0: well yeah and, and that whole that whole line about you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into right yeah, and if, yeah if it's a, if it's coming from field I remember what I wanted to say it was, the thing was if we you know if we were hearing on the news uh every day that uh yes okay the GDP is up but the GDP is based on market exports and these are ne- you know multinational companies that happen to be based here uh but if you you know a uh, accrue for uh, local, uh, you know, local, uh, money in people's pockets and the actual spending thing, then, you know, you know, the markets are doing well, but, you know, and acknowledging that, you know, markets are doing well, but that is not going to connect to you. And here's why, if that's what the news did. And that's why I wanted to to take a hatchet to the news or take that as an opportunity to take it to them was if they were explaining, this is why what we're saying or what we want to talk about, this is why it doesn't connect to what you're feeling. Then maybe people might start to go, Oh, okay. This is a source of information this is something I should be listening to. But yeah, if you're just talking about something like that, then there's no connection. And there's no acknowledgement that it doesn't connect to what people are feeling. Then they're just going to ignore you wholesale. And I think that's that's the problem. And that's why I blame, uh, put blame for that squarely on the mainstream media. I, and,
2: and I watched, I watched this. Uh, it was like an interesting video. And it had a whole article attached to it about um, scientific journals how people are misrepresenting them because like every every scientist will come up with a great headline like oh avocados cause cancer or (laughs) avocados don't cause cancer just because we're talking about that but um but then if you actually read through the article you see like there is a slight bias towards Mm -hmm. cancer but it's not conclusive or like maybe it's only under these specific factors it's only like you know in certain people and And then newspapers and and news stations take these articles and they're like, oh, this clearly is what it means. And so I watched it was a it was a whole like uh, talk show host thing. And he was like, oh, you always see the scientists are disagreeing with each other. I like to choose whichever one I agree with the most that makes me feel the best. And that's the one I take. that's (laughs) That's <laughs> that's not how it works, but but, but I it, think
0: that they think that it is. Right? Yeah, a lot that's, of people. That's a yeah. problem with it. A lot of a lot of people, and like the creationist connection was a great one because they're like, well, the you know the scientists who say that evolution is true, that's because they you know they have faith in this book called you know uh, what was uh, what's the first,
2: um, evolution of species?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, whatever. The, I'm bl- I'm brain farting on it, but whatever. The, there's a famous thing uh, by guy Darwin that, uh, By Darwin's book, yeah. Origin uh, or of Species. Origin of Species, yeah. It's like, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're believing in that with faith in the same way that I believe my religious stories. Well, no, but they, I, they actually think that. And if you actually think that, that explains a lot. And yep. I think it carries to a lot of other topics. I think you're very right to make that connection. Uh, however, as Stefan said, it is brutally hot in here in the studio today, and we're at 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Let's I'm just going to give
1: one pitch, actually, to someone who has been writing a bunch of stuff that I think is very valuable, both on Trump and on, uh, on what it's like to live in a part of the states that, despite the economic recovery, is still is still hurting uh, her name is sarah kenzior don't know how to spell it. k-e-n-d-z-i-o-r is a lot la- how to spell that last name uh, and as far as writing from she lives in st louis uh and as far as writing from the perspective of someone who has been like seen the economic recovery in the united states but been like hey guys not not here uh is is invaluable also one of the first people to call out Trump uh, in, uh, for being a fascist and has been right about him the entire way through so valuable read on many fronts Yeah,
0: and I think also I'll stick in uh, connection I don't know if this is the reference you were making Ed but uh, last week tonight did a piece on that which was exceptional so I'll oh, link to yes. the last That's week tonight piece. Yeah.
2: that was very good
0: yeah John Oliver nailed it I'll link to that piece in the bonus show as well uh, in the uh, in the show notes as well other than that thank you so much folks for having listened to our bonus show on this extremely muggy day I hope that you are in much more comfortable uh, place listening to this than we are recording it uh, and uh, boo climate change. Yes. That's it. See right. yes. See you guys. Later.